Our second scripture reading today comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman that you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together one more time today. Gracious God, I thank you for the gift of Scripture, for the truth that you reveal to us each time that we come to you and read it. Lord, I pray that these words, not just that we've read this morning, but that we've prayed and sung together, that all of them would live within us to help draw forth from us a living praise and a living faith. Lord, for myself, I pray that my words would not be my own, but that they would be yours, and that they would do nothing but bring you glory, because outside of that, there's no reason for me to speak. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen. So here's a question. It's one that may strike some a little bit close to home, but it's something that most people will be able uh, probably to nod in agreement with. And it's this. Have you ever tried dieting or cutting back on something? It doesn't matter what it is. Dieting is something that many of us have done at some point or another. We've tried to watch what we eat, tried to be a little bit healthier, to break out of the habits of our, uh, our culture, which uh, give us so many opportunities to eat food that's bad for us. So you've probably had at least one point in your life where you've thought, I should probably eat less of this. I know I've done that a few times. And there's so many other things that we try to cut back on. Screen time, soda, other kinds of junk food. Even just the amount of time that we spend sitting has become such a problem that people are starting to try and work while standing up. We try and try to cut back on things because we know that it would probably be better for us to do less of them. But the problem with doing that, the problem with those kinds of decisions is that the more you think about not doing something, the more you think about not having something, 
the better it sounds, the more you want it. You know what I'm talking about. I'm certain. This is something that people have always talked about. Early theologians called it concupiscence, which means that it's this desire for the forbidden. This longing for the things that are bad for us. We might call it a bent or inclination towards sin, but the truth is we just like things that we can't have. We want the things that we shouldn't take or don't possess. It's, it's what Paul was talking about in the book of Romans chapter 8 when he says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've probably heard that verse before, and if you've lived and paid attention to your life, you probably know that it's true. All of us have sinned and fallen short. This is just a fact of life. It's one that we wrestle with because we know that it's bad, but oftentimes we fall into this mindset of thinking, well, we've all fallen short, so it's fine. It's okay. It's not something to be worried about. But let me tell you that Scripture is pretty clear that that's not actually the case. Uh, that it's no excuse. Just because we have fallen short before does not mean that we have an excuse to continue living in sin, though. We're called to something different. If you read the gospel message, what you find is that Christ has set us free from the power of sin, which means that we, standing on his faithfulness and in his mercy, don't have to listen to that urge to do the forbidden or to go after what we cannot or should not have. Christ frees us from the law of sin that we, so that we can live good and holy and pure and full lives. It says this in 1 John chapter 3. The author writes, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's, sin, or God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Those of us who know Christ and who trust in him might find it easy to say, well, yeah, I've fallen short, and that's just how it is, and it'll probably, have be ha it'll probably happen again in the future. And it might, but that should not stop us from striving after holiness. That shouldn't stop us from striving after the life that Christ has called us to when he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's a hard call, but we're not called to do the easy things out of faith, are we? But all of this comes back to a question. It all calls to mind something that I've wondered. You've probably wondered. And that's, what about when we do fall short? See, we're talking for uh, the next several weeks about where God is. About how God is present in our lives through good times and bad. Because we believe that he's here. We believe that no matter how easy or difficult things are, that Christ is still with us, that God does not abandon us, even if it's hard to see. So the question comes up, 
Is that true even when we fall short? When we succumb to the sin that we're supposed to be freed from, to the bonds that are supposed to be broken, how does God respond? Does he abandon us? Does he leave us behind just like that? Basically, the question that comes up is, can we mess up so badly that God gives up on us, declares us a lost cause? When we look at our scripture this morning, this question comes up again. What does God do when he finds that humanity has fallen short yet again? We see right at the beginning that God makes everything good. That God, day by day, creates pieces of the universe aspects of creation and one by one declares them to be good and then by hand from the dust he crafts mankind breathes his own breath into them so that they would have life and once again calls him very good and to the man he made a companion another one who was very good and it was good for them to be together because they were made for community with one another and with God who stayed with them in the garden. He gave them life and breath. He gave them comfort. He gave them food. He gave them everything that they could need and everything that they could possibly want. And he gave them one rule. Just when everything seemed perfect, God said, live a life of leisure, of pleasure, of peace in my presence, but don't eat that fruit. And the thought started up, the cravings appeared, the desire had been planted like a seed in their minds. And so when the serpent came and said, doesn't that fruit look pretty good. And why would God make it if it wasn't meant to be eaten? Never mind what he says. What do you think he actually meant? And so Eve looked and saw that the fruit looked good. She saw that it would probably taste good. And most of all, she knew that it promised wisdom. It could make them feel good. And so, they do what is in human nature to do. They cheat on the diet. They eat the fruit that they're not supposed to have. And it's done. That's that. Suddenly the peace was gone and their eyes were opened and they experienced worry and anxiety and stress and discomfort for the first time as they realized that they were naked, that they were uncovered, that they were laid bare before each other and before God and they couldn't have either of those things. They didn't want to be seen by each other so they sewed clothing out of fig leaves and covered up 
And then they hear a voice, footsteps, walking in the cool of the day. And they find out that God is still there. God's not gone. And they don't want to be seen by him either. So they hide. Friends, the first thing that we do when we mess up, the first thing that we do when we fall short and we know it is try to hide. We don't want anybody else to see what we've done. We don't even want ourselves to have to think about it. We certainly don't want God to know what we've done. And so we try to hide because we're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of what people will think. And even if nobody else knows, we know. And we still try to hide because we are ashamed. But here's the thing. God doesn't leave us when we sin. God was still there in the cool of the day. Instead, we leave him. We walk away. We find a tree to hide behind so that God can't see us, but we can't see him either. We retreat from God because we're afraid of judgment, even though we can look back and see that everything that God has done has been good. That everything that we've experienced so far has been grace, yet still it's fear that we feel. He made us by hand and filled us with life, yet still we're afraid. He's walked with us and cared for us. He's fed us and kept us happy and comfortable and safe. And yet still... We're afraid. And what we'll see in the aftermath of this, if you read just a little bit further, is that even the consequences are full of mercy. Because God told them, if you eat of the fruit, then you will surely die. And yet, when they eat of the fruit, he doesn't smite them immediately. And sure, the death that comes is inevitable, but it's not immediate, and they still get to walk with God. So if you want to know where God is when you've sinned, the first thing you have to do is stop running and stop pretending like you can hide from God, because we can't. It's impossible. God already knows what we've done, and he's still there. He already knows, and he's already decided not to leave. He's just waiting for us to come back out of the trees and stand in his presence again. And so we go back to this story of Adam and Eve in the garden, and God asks them, what are you doing? Knowing, of course, what they're doing. And Adam says, well, look, I heard you and was afraid, so I hid. God asks what happened, like a parent whose child has broken something at home. 
like a parent who already knows, he asks, what is going on? What did you do? And the man answers, well, look, it was the woman. She gave me the fruit. It's her fault. Yeah, I ate it, but she gave it to me. And God goes to the woman and says, what has happened here? And the woman says, look, it was the snake. The snake did it. I was deceived. And yeah, I ate it, but it was the snake. And what we find in both of their responses is the recognition tucked in right there at the end that, yes, I ate it. But before that, they try to pass off the blame on somebody else. They're trying to remove the blame and justify themselves before God. And that's the other thing that we try when we've fallen short. We try to pass off blame. We try to defend and justify ourselves or convince ourselves that we've done nothing wrong, that everything is fine, that it's all okay. We say, look, this wasn't my fault. I didn't get myself into this situation. Or worse, we might look at everything that's happening and say, well, this isn't so bad after all, is it? Maybe what I did wasn't actually wrong. Friends, when we do that, we're not convincing God not to leave. We can't talk our way out of sin or rationalize our way out of failure. All we're doing is convincing ourselves that we can manage without him. And yet it doesn't make it any more true. So if you want to know where God is, then the second thing that you have to do is stop doing the work of the serpent and deceiving yourself into thinking that you don't need God. God already knows what we've done and he knows it in full. And he's still here. He knows and he hasn't left. He's waiting for you to soften your heart so that he can make it pure. And friends, here's the key to all of this. Here's the key to the whole story. God already knew what happened in the garden. He already knew everything that had gone down at the tree with the snake and the fruit. And yet he was still there in the cool of the day. And after all of this, after this story ends, when the people are cast out of the garden, God is still there. Things are way harder. The consequences of this are that they have to labor for their fruit and they have to suffer through life. But God is still there. Even after they broke the one thing he told them not to do, even after they violated the only rule there was, God did not give up on them. And God has not given up on you. See, sin tries to pull us away from God, to convince us that we are too far gone, that God would never want us back, or that we don't need God 
to come back into our lives. Sin tries its hardest to keep us bound up in it, addicted to it, enslaved by it. It tells us that there's no other way to live, that there's no hope for a better tomorrow, that there's no way that you could ever escape its hold. Sin tries to pull us away from God, but what we can know through the power of Jesus Christ is that the love of God is always strong enough to pull us back. That if we will accept the hand that Christ has extended to us, if we will accept the healing that we could never find ourselves, then all of the weight of sin is powerless to hold us down and to hold us back and to keep us away from God because he has claimed the victory already. And friends, if you turn back to him, then that victory can be yours as well. The kingdom of God is waiting. It's open. There's a place prepared for you. Thanks be to God that no matter what we do, if we stop hiding, stop running, and stop lying to ourselves long enough to turn and face him, then we'll see that he never left.